right, well, we are in chapter 4, Corinthians chapter 4. I wanted to start by using a little story. Um, in the West Coast, at least a portion that I'm from, you don't have the long sandy beaches that you do here in Hilton Head. It's a cliff that you have to climb down, and there's a lot of sharp rocks everywhere. And you, you usually will have like a small beach. And we used to go uh, and have beach baptisms out there at a place called Refugio Beach. I call it Refugio, but then uh, J.J. Barraza will beat me. It's Refugio. And when we would go there, we would surf and we would eat and we would play beach soccer. We had a great time. Well, eventually a, a big storm came through. And when this storm came through, it shifted all the sand on the beach, and it pulled all the sand off the shore. So the next time we went there, it was nothing but rocks, sharp rocks everywhere. And so you couldn't play uh, on the beach. You couldn't run around anymore. And they ended up, I think, actually even moving to a different beach after that. Now, what does that have to do with 1 Corinthians chapter 4? I'm just baiting you like I do. <laughs> We're going to see as we unravel these things. But I want you to have that image in your mind as we go through this chapter. That being said, let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, we pray that you would continue to speak to us through your word and that as we grow in you, that you would show us your word, you would reveal it to us, and that you would help us to apply it to our lives, that we would be more like you, and that you would help us to navigate this strange, crazy world and be lights for you under the shifting sands. And so we lift this time up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read the first few verses of chapter 4 together, and then I'll let you in on what, I've, what I'm laying down here. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will, bring, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. There's a lot to unpack here. We're going to spend a, a little bit of time in verses 1 through 5, and we'll see. I'm praying that we're able to make it through the whole chapter. I'm forever fascinated that as an expositional Bible teacher, that just means I teach chapter by chapter through the Bible, how the Holy Spirit continues to have the timing of his word directly correlating to the time that we're in. Here we're talking about judgment and man's judgment and God's judgment, and it just so happens some pretty big judgments happened recently here uh, in 2022 here in the United States. And we're going to see, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what that applies to us as Christians, whether we're trying to judge ourselves or we're being judged by the world or we're being judged even by the church. And it's fascinating as we are discussing what's going on in the world, how we, ha how we handle these things in the church, how in the body of Christ we talk about the different judgments or, or how we sheep like to bite each other. We like to judge each other. We like to dissect each other we like to split the church we like to put labels on each other oh post-trib mid-trib calvinist 
Arminius, Presbyterian, Methodist, then the Calvary, weird Calvary Chapel people over there in the corner with their Hawaiian shirts on. We, we just start categorizing and separating people. Now, Paul is, a direct, is directly speaking to the Corinthians at that time who in the last few chapters had been putting themselves under different teachers, putting labels on themselves. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul. I'm of Jesus only. And we saw that Paul immediately went after that. No, we're all of Christ. But he's for the last few chapters been saying that the Lord uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, that we should not be looking at human wisdom. We should not be looking at the things that entertain us. We should not be looking at men and only following after those men. See, the word apostle means sent one. But here, what does Paul say in verse 1? Let a man so consider us as servants, as servants, as under rowers. Now, I don't speak Greek. I haven't been trained in Greek. I know people that learned Greek and gave up on it because it's difficult. So let's go to some people that know Greek because there's some important lessons here. In the Enduring Word Bible Commentary, it says Paul uses the word hyperitas, which describes a subordinate serving servant functioning as a free man. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in, in a minute. He does not use the more common New Testament word for a servant, the doulos which is designated a common slave. Later on, it says, and stewards. In addition to a servant, Paul also asks to be considered as a steward who is the manager of a household. So what are we, what are we getting at here, Mike? Can I boil it down? He's saying that when Paul is saying, hey, consider us as stewards, consider us as servants, he's saying we are free. We are servants by choice. We choose to serve the Lord. We're not slaves that are sent against our will. He's saying that they have authority and they have power, but they're also not masters. They're not the owners. They're not in charge. The Lord is in charge. And he's been, for the last few chapters, telling them, don't look at these people as if they are special. It is their Lord that is special. It is Christ that is special. It's Jesus. It's God that's doing it. In the 21st century here in America, we look at people and organizations. We say, man, that's a lot of people. They must be right. Wow, that person's really popular. But then all of a sudden, they're not so popular anymore. Man, that person must be really dumb. See, I use that analogy of the shifting sands, that the sands, they'll shift. The culture will shift. Our society will shift. And what we think in one century is an abomination we have pride parades about it in the next. One thing that we would say would be a, a cultural taboo, divorce, suddenly becomes the norm. And the sands shift. But what remains the same? I use that beach analogy. Those hard, tough-as-nails rocks just stay there. The sands come, the sands go, but they stay there. And we're going to tie that into the fellowship here in a little bit. But Paul is saying the most important thing of any of those guys, Apollos, Paul, Peter, any of them, is faithfulness. You see, those cliff edges, those rocks, the water comes, tide goes in, tide goes out. Storms and beautiful days, 
and wave after wave after wave just continues to work on those rocks and they're immovable. They just stay there. Sticks in the mud. That's a negative saying in our culture, but how important it is to have a sure foundation when all of society is moving around us. Paul says here in verses 3 through 5 that there's three types of judgments. There's man's judgment. What man judges is good one day, the next day he says it's evil, and then vice versa. There's our own judgment, how we judge ourselves. Paul says, I don't even trust my own judgment. I I look in the mirror and I judge myself. Man, you're looking handsome today. I hear some comment in the grocery store. Next morning I'm looking in the mirror. Man, you got fat. I didn't get fat in 24 hours. My perspective changed. You could say my eyes opened. But we could do the same thing in our own righteousness. One day we say, wow, I'm really doing good with the Lord. The next day, I can't believe he even calls me his son or daughter. One day we could be at the top of the world and the next day utter depression. No, we can't even trust our own judgment. But there's one judgment that is far more important than any other. That is God's judgment. What does God think about this? So Paul is saying here to the Corinthians, hey, you guys are all calling to yourselves, these special men. You're thinking that you're holy. You're thinking you're spiritual. You're thinking you're mature when really the only person's opinion that matters is God's. What does God think about this? How does he interpret this? How does he see you? Now, here's the thing about those, uh, those rocks in the, in the beach. You couldn't, couldn't play soccer on those hard rocks anymore. Couldn't play beach volleyball. They cut. They hurt. You fall on them, they're hard. I know servants in the Lord, they are sharp and jagged. And you say, man, that's not nice. But what do we see? As the tide continues to work, those immovable objects, they get to be softened. If you go and you look at a river stone or you go and look at rocks that are on the beach that have been there for a long time, what do you notice about them? Pick them up. They're smooth. They're round. What happened to them? They're still immovable. But the tide worked on their edges, the edges of their heart. Now, what do we do in the church? No, we like to attack the people in the church, and the church attacks itself, and there we are, jagged rocks. And we say, oh, yeah, we're tough. The sands move, but look at us how tough we are. Yeah, but if anyone leans on you, they get cut. Is that what the Lord wants from us? No, obviously not. He's our chief cornerstone. He is our rock. What did the Lord call Peter? The rock, Petra, Petros. And so we see that this is important. But if we can't handle conflict, if we can't handle judgment, if we can't handle controversy in the church, how do we expect to go into the world and be a light to the world? Are we to tiptoe around each other's feelings? Absolutely not. But are we to go around throwing rocks at each other? No way. Now, Jesus tells us how to handle tough situations. He tells us how to handle accusations. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, he says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, 
Then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. But if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Must have hit the King James Version on that one for you guys. You're welcome. Now, Paul said here that we are to be free servants, not slaves. And as free servants, we need to address each other. We need to have conversations with each other. Now, this is important because Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ. But we can see these same principles are to be found within our own families because our homes are to be a church, a gathering together under submission to the Lord. We are not to lord over each other. We're not to be dictators. We're not to be commanding and bullying people. But we're also, we're also not to live for our own improvement, our own, our own approval. We're not to be living just for the feelings. We're not supposed to just go around being nice to each other all the time and, and not bringing some correction. But we also need to know that it goes both ways, that we are all co-equal in Christ. Remember, Paul said, don't consider us as apostles. Consider us as servants, but free servants. The ability to choose, the ability to make decisions, but at the same time, submitting ourselves to Christ. He is our master. He is the owner. He's the one doing the work. And then when we apply all these things, we are to remember what he says here. He finds it a very small thing that he should be judged by a human court. It doesn't matter how high the court is. It doesn't matter if it's a Supreme Court, a federal court, a local court, a state court, an appeals court, a county court. It doesn't matter if it's a court of public opinion. God's court is what matters. God's judgment is eternal. Now, I would be remiss as a pastor if I didn't share with you that all Christians have a judgment, but it's a different kind of judgment. It's called the Bema Seat judgment. The Bema Seat is a fancy Greek word. It means the rewards judgment. It's like a paycheck. You know, you get a paycheck on Friday and the checks get handed out. It's kind of like at the end of a, a championship tournament, you know, back when we didn't give participation trophies. You know, you'd have different ranks. People would actually be first place, second place, third place, and then fourth place. They got nothing. You, know, you remember those days? Well, the Bema Seed Judgment is where the Lord himself will hand out rewards to Christians, and he will be the judge. That's found in our previous chapter, chapter 3. It's also found in Romans chapter 14, which we'll go to in a minute. Now, you're thinking to yourself, isn't there a judgment like a bad judgment? That is called the great white throne judgment. That's in Revelation chapter 20, also Hebrews chapter 9. That is where the non-believer is judged, and it is not good, not good. But for Christians, we need to be thinking far more about the Bema seat and far less about the Supreme Court. We need to be thinking far more about are we pleasing to Jesus and far less are we pleasing to a congregation or to a people or to a spouse or to a neighbor, to a poll. 
The public opinion sands may have changed, but the truth of God's word remains. And that judgment from God will remain the same. He's immovable. He never changes. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change his word. But remember here, who is he speaking to? Paul is speaking to the Corinthians about the Corinthians. He's saying, don't look at the wisdom of man. In the last few chapters, over and over, he's been saying, don't look to the wisdom of man. Don't look to the courts. Don't look to the theater. Don't look to the Colosseum. Don't look to the athletes and to the rich uh, business people and the tradesmen. Don't look to the government. Look to God. Look to Jesus. Remember, he had said, was Paul crucified for you? Of course not. Only Christ was crucified for us. And so in Romans chapter 14, Paul says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It is interesting to me how quickly we will judge other people within the church, but we won't judge ourselves. It is, is easy, it is so fascinating to me as a pastor how many problems we have with all y'all people. If we just got rid of the people here, there wouldn't be any problems. This person rubs this person the wrong way, and this person said that, and this person has this issue, and these people are fighting with each other, and these people are screaming at each other in the parking lot. You know, a few decades ago, you said, I do, to each other, <laughs> and you love each other. Well, so is the same thing in the fellowship. We love each other as Christians, and we are to be an example to the world. Look here at verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will, bring, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. We can't just be living for the praises of men. They're fleeting. They're like those shifting sands. The storm comes and they disappear. Good times come and everybody's walking on the beach. But the rocks will stay there. Those that are on a sure foundation of God's word will remain and will continue forward. Judge nothing before the time. It is amazing to me how many times over the years someone has said to me, oh, we're going we're gonna to be here for the long haul. We're, we're not going anywhere. And then what happens? Poof. Where'd they go? Oh, I don't know. You must have said something that ticked them off. Well, that's easy. <laughs> the sands shift. I'm sure they meant it at that time. But then there's other people, you just can't get rid of them, no matter how sharp they are. <laughs> Immovable. But I'm not going to sit there on the beach with another rock, hammering it down. Oh, get softer, get softer. No, 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 what does that? Time does that. The tide does that. The world does that. The Lord does that. That's not our job. What is it? He started off, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and the stewards of mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Faithful. Does it say popular? Does it say friendly? Nice? Good-looking? charismatic, able to draw a, a crowd, 
able to build big buildings? Faithfulness. Because when difficulties come, when storms come, when trials come, when the tides come, they will be there. They will stand the test of time. Yeah, maybe the sand came back since that time. Who knows? I want to make sure that when I'm at that beam of seat judgment, when I'm looking at the Lord, I don't come to him and say, well, Lord, we got a good crowd. No. No. I want to hear what he has to say. It's not my defense at the Bema, sheet, the Bema seat judgment. It's not my argument to him. Oh, yeah, but Lord, we planted churches in your name. Oh, Lord, we had great crowds. Oh, Lord. No, it's, does he say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Enter into the, into the peace of the Lord. Enter in. Does he have a crown there of faithfulness? Does he have a, a crown there? of making it through judgment and making it through tribulation and persecution? Does he have a crown there of being faithful to him? Is he pleased? No, I think it's far more important that we find pastors and leaders and elders, fathers, leaders of families that are faithful, immovable, and that only comes in trusting in Christ alone, not in anything of man. Now, Paul's not done here at these first five verses. Let's continue now in verses 6 through 8. Now, these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. Underline that one. That none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. Now, he's going to launch off from this verse here, or these verses, I should say. Now, we have to be very careful because Paul is using some sarcasm here. And he's saying, oh, you guys are rich kings. You guys are real leaders. He's going to, in the next few verses, use an analogy that we have to kind of build up. And we'll explain it a little bit more. But he's going to use the Colosseum or the theater as an example. And those that are in the Colosseum, they're fighting for their lives. In Roman times, they would take prisoners, prisoners of war. They would take the convicted, the condemned. And they'd have them fight against animals, fight against each other, fight against uh, professional, um, professional, whatchamacallums? Gladiators is the word I was looking for. And so they would fight against professional gladiators. They, they were sent to slaughter for entertainment. And the free people that were there buying tickets, they reign as kings. They're observing as kings. They're judging yes or no, live or die. And so Paul is insinuating here, oh, are you guys the critics? You guys are the judges of, of who's really the servants of the Lord? Are we sitting out here in church as Christian church connoisseurs? Like, oh, yes, you know, that church is good here and that church is good there. And they've got a, 
a good live stream over here. And here, you know, the worship isn't that good over here, but it's better over here. And, you know, he uses the new King James. Might as well just go to the ESV. I don't even know what his problem is. Oh, you don't stick to the King James Version. Is he even saved? Connoisseurs. And then we say to ourselves, who is the judge then? Man or God? Are we living to please the Lord? Are we living to please the people or please the elders or please the board? Or is the measure of success as a Christian leader based on the crowd you can attract? The other day I was driving because no good sermon doesn't have a driving analogy lately. And there was a car wreck. I know there's so few of them around here. And you would be amazed at the crowd that thing attracted. Everyone was bumper to bumper rubbernecking that thing. Well, train wrecks and car wrecks can attract a crowd. That doesn't mean that they're honoring and serving the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that if a person has attracted a crowd that they're not serving the Lord either. It's irrelevant. If, let's look at some biblical examples. Jeremiah the prophet converted no one in his entire ministry. Faithful, persecuted, attacked, condemned, lied about. And yet, God was well pleased with him. Then take Jonah, who doesn't even like the people. He doesn't even like them. He doesn't want to go there. He's willing to be swallowed by a a large fish. I wouldn't say willing. That's kind of a stretch, but anything to get away from these people. And then when he shows up, he says, repent. That's all he says. He just walks around the town telling them all they're damned, and they repent. And when there's a great awakening, a great moving of repentance, Jonah gets with an argument with God about it. He's upset. No, no, it's not about the opinions of man. It's not about us becoming so-called connoisseurs of churchianity. He says, don't go beyond what is written. That's the text here. Don't go beyond what is written. Don't be trying to see things that aren't actually there. Stick to the word of God. Incredible. If you want to be a rock, In a society of shifting sand, stick to the Word of God. Daily Bible reading. Stick to the Word. Don't go beyond what is written. Don't add from it. Don't subtract from it. If you want to be strong emotionally, mentally, spiritually, I dare say even physically, stick to the Word of God immovable, unchanging, standing with what is true, what has made it from century to century, millennia to millennia, never moving, never changing, the Word of God. But if you want to be sifting sands, going with every wind of doctrine, the Bible says in the book of James that a double-minded man is good for nothing, unstable in all his ways, Shifting with the sands. Now in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, it says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Not for the 1800s, not for the 800s, not for 800 B.C., forever. The word of God shall never pass away. Now have you ever seen a pastor fall, someone you highly respected, Maybe someone that attracted a huge crowd, big campus, 
big ministry. Wow, that guy, he's really got it going on. And then what happens? They fall. Not all of them. Just enough that it stings. Now, if your faith is based on the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ, on his word, it may sting a little bit, but you're immovable because you are leaning on the chief cornerstone, our high tower, our strong defense, the captain of our salvation, Jesus himself. And so none of these things move you. Ah, Another one bites the dust. But if you are seeking after men, if you're seeking after people, if you're seeking after a poll or a popularity contest, if you're trying to find the biggest, most popular church, the best orator, the most entertaining pastor, when trials come your way, whew, gone. Did that situation stumble you? And maybe it did a little bit, but hopefully it brought you, brought you back to the rock, brought you back to Christ. Maybe it, you discovered that those things really don't matter to you. I hope it didn't turn you into a cynic where you don't trust anyone ever. I hope it didn't turn you into a church connoisseur because that does not build up the body of Christ. We are to be found faithful. Paul is telling the Corinthians there, you think you're spiritual. You think you're high and mighty. You think you're really at the top of your game. You're not. You're looking at the wrong thing. You're missing the forest for the trees. You're, You're missing the whole thing. You should be finding faithful leaders. They all teach the same thing. Why then are you dividing yourselves, backbiting yourselves, arguing with yourselves? And so this is when he's really going to use that analogy fully in verses 9 through 13. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and are poorly. we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we blessed. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of this world, of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. Now, Paul is using sarcasm here directly. Oh, you're kings, but we're the worst. Now, we're going to build now on the, the previously hinted at example. Paul says in verse 9, we have been made a spectacle. That word spectacle is directly translated through the English word theater. He's saying we have been made the gladiatorial games. We have been made the sacrifice. We are being murdered in the Colosseum for your entertainment. We've been made a spectacle. This is a direct contrast to the Corinthian culture. The Corinthians were looking at the greatest orators of the day, philosophers, thinking people, that were very good at conversation and speaking. They would have great theaters. If you remember chapter 1, the introduction to Corinth, I showed some of the theaters and some of the uh, coliseums, the places where they would have great crowds, thousands and thousands of people listening to these people. 
We built up the background of the Isthian games. We built up the background of how rich that area was, that it was the New York, Las Vegas of the time, that there were hundreds of thousands of people in this area. And they would go to these big games, and everyone would ooh and ah at the intellect, at the entertainment. And Paul is saying here, they are the exact opposite. They are the prisoners and slaves in the Colosseum that are being slaughtered for their entertainment. You guys are real kings now, aren't you? Sitting up there. Made a theater. Remember, for the last few chapters, he's been saying, don't look to the wisdom of the world. Don't look to false teachers and false philosophies. Stick to the truth of Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for our sins, that all power comes through him. Remember what he had said earlier. Was Paul crucified for you? No, it was our Lord. And he uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He's saying, get away from your pride. Stop thinking so highly among yourselves. Now, it's easy for me to look at these verses as a, as a pastor and say, oh, yes, look how much I suffer for the Lord. Look how difficult it is. Now, we have to keep these things in its context. Yes, Paul was physically beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was robbed. He was persecuted. He was put in chains. But that's not what he's speaking of. He's not saying you have to do those things to be a servant of the Lord. Contrast these verses to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. It seems almost like a contradiction. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Boy, I know some churches that they probably have those verses at the pastor's parking spot in the front of the building. Is that a contradiction between those two? No, we have to use both of these verses in contrast looking out for each other. In the fellowship, in the fellowship, we're not to look to extol to lift up, to magnify any singular person except for Jesus Christ himself. Sometimes that leads us into great trials, but he is worthy. There are other times, as believers, we are not to abuse our teachers, our elders, our pastors, and say, well, you know, by, you know I, I'm looking here, homeless, beaten, poorly clothed. We're just being scriptural, pastor. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that we're to go where Christ calls us wherever he calls us. We're to go where Christ calls us wherever he calls us. We're to to continue to be immovable. Sometimes the culture is going to be in line with the Bible. Easy days. Sometimes the storms will come and pull the sands away. And it won't be comfortable. It'll be difficult and hard. But if you're based on the, the gospel, the Lord will lead you. He'll direct you. What I find more fascinating is not how the church is to deal with the world. It's how the church deals with the church. How quickly we will attack each other. How quickly we will cut off fellowship. Oh, I'm just not coming anymore. It hurt my feelings. Well, did you do what Jesus said? Did you directly converse with that person? Did you have that friction there? Oh, it didn't work out? Jesus says it's okay to just quit. No, he says go grab two other people and continue the conversation. Oh, it still didn't work out? It says to just martyr your brother and kick him out. 
No, it says go have that discussion in front of the whole church then. And then if they still have a problem with it, then you can separate them. But we'll see in 1 Corinthians later on, only for a time, the goal, soften the edges. Remain immovable. Remain faithful. Remain through the storms. It's easy, easy for us when we're following the Lord and we are filled with the Holy Spirit to turn the other cheek to our enemies. Okay, I fit. This is not easy, is it at all? But it's far more difficult for us, it seems, to do it for our own brothers and sisters in the Lord. What did Jesus tell us in Matthew 5:44? But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I do not like this verse. In my flesh, I reject it. Nevertheless, it is a commandment. It is an order from our Lord and Savior. But we don't have a problem with it. We nod. We giggle. We say, yes, you know, we should do those things. What I'm rolling back here is why don't we do those things for the brother and sister in the church? Well, they should know better. They should act differently. They should be better. They should work harder. They should be softer. They should be nicer. They should argue less. They should know better. No, 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 no. They're just a simple human being like the rest of us. We're all to be faithful to one another. Do you love people in the church that curse you? Do you love people in the church that hate you? Do you pray for those that despitefully use you in the church? Do you pray for those that persecute you in the church? Well, they, if they're in the church, they shouldn't do those things. Don't you know this building's full of filthy sinners? <laughs> Deceitfully wicked sinners, every single one of us. It's the Holy Spirit that moves in us that makes us anything new. It's, it's Jesus that gave us a new heart. It's Jesus that gave us the spirit that we wrestle. We have to die to ourselves daily. No, the, the Spirit of God works on every single one of us. And so, yes, the church can be difficult at times. But if you call yourself a leader, you don't run. You don't trust your emotions and feelings. You serve the Master. Does this please Jesus? Is He honored by this? Is this the right way to go? Now, if this is your first day here, this doesn't really apply to you. We're just grateful you're here. Just receive the truth. This is for the disciple. This is for the elder. This is for the teacher. This is for the worship leader. You are to yield for others. You are to turn the other cheek. You are to bless those that despitefully use you. And we are, as pastors, supposed to be the greatest example that when people are talking about me at the dinner table or gossiping about a decision or talking about a bad message, or how he should have made this decision or that decision. I use this term, and I find myself even using it incorrectly. I don't care. Now, does that mean I don't care? Of course not. What I should say is, I care, but it is not as important to me as what Jesus wants. If Jesus is pleased, then none of those other things move me. If I'm, in, if I'm walking in the Spirit. Now, if I walk in the flesh, I, we are to be like our Lord Jesus. Remember earlier on in Corinthians, we are free men servants. The free man servant doesn't own the property. 
the freedman steward stewards and runs the farm. He runs the ranch, but he doesn't own the ranch. He doesn't own the property. He doesn't own the cattle. He doesn't own the sheep. He's to do his best to serve it, to run it, to organize it. But it's not him. It's not him. Paul knows this. And even though he's in tremendous trials, even though there's tremendous difficulties here that he's listing, he physically experiences all these things listed in these verses. He can say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when he's discussing this with Jesus, how he's praying to Jesus to heal him, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Isn't that what we're all after, the power of Christ? Isn't that what we're all after, to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? We may have strayed. We may have become like the Corinthians and need to receive correction, a rebuke, a reproof, like, hey, you're going in the wrong direction. You're looking at the wrong things. I dare say a little too much rejoicing with the Supreme Court ruling. And we should rejoice. But that being said, until the word of God is placed on man's heart, it doesn't matter what the laws of the land say. We're learning that in the Old Testament. It doesn't matter how good the laws are if man's heart is not turned to God. It's, it's fruitless. It's pointless. Listen, children are going to be murdered as long as man's heart is not repented towards God, no matter what the law says. Now, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful. But that being said, there's going to be a lot of hurting people out there regardless that are going to be facing some very difficult situations. And it's easy for us to point, to mock, to laugh. But that's not what the Savior would do. That's not what the Lord would do. The Lord wouldn't rejoice at a hurting single mom being told all kinds of terrible and great things, difficulties, life changes. The Lord would not rejoice at these things. But he would give himself as a living sacrifice that they could live eternal lives. He would give them the word of God. He would give them the trust and the hope that is found in God. We're not here to win on Main Street. We're not here to win in a picket or to win in a, a poll or to win in a riot or to even change the government. We are here as ambassadors for Jesus Christ to lead people to the streets of gold in eternity. That's what we live for. We live for the judgment of God, not for the judgment of man. And so Paul continues here in verses 14 through 16. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Now, Paul here says something he doesn't really say anywhere else, a spiritual father. He's saying that Christ owns it all. He didn't make anyone. But that being said, he has a special relationship with them as he planted that church. I can tell you, I care more about any of you than you think. You're in my prayers. You're in my thoughts. I, I worry. I'm concerned. I have feelings. I know it doesn't seem like it. When things happen to the fellowship, it hurts me. It's a different relationship 
as a spiritual father. But I am not under any illusions. I don't own this place. This isn't my property, and you're not my people. You are Christ. He died for you. He purchased you. He bought you, and he'll have his way with you. I can't do any of those things. But I don't tell you any of these things to shame you, but I do want to warn you, verse 14, that you have all these instructors in Christ. You know, you only got one who's shepherding over you. And it's not really me, it's the Lord. But I need to be under that conviction that I need to imitate Jesus. If you're an elder here, if you're a teacher, a pastor, you need to be imitating Christ. People need to look at you and say, that's the way that Jesus would do it. And if not, you're going to be rebuked. And you're going to be rebuked biblically and in love. And there's going to be tough conversations. There's going to be tides that come over the rocks. But it is appointed, it is to be found that leaders in the fellowship are to be faithful. We don't own the church. We don't own anyone here. We are all free servants of Christ. They're his people. And it's to be done his way. And finally, in verses 17 through 21, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod, or in love, and the spirit of gentleness? Doesn't that kind of sound like your dad? <laughs> Wait, what do you want? You want me to come? I'll show you. Now, he is a spiritual father. Now, Timothy is his right-hand man. But I think the lesson for us is don't be puffed up. Don't be a Corinthian. Don't, don't think more highly of yourself than you think. If you are in a real church, if you are in a real fellowship, there will be correction, and it will be done lovingly, and it will be done in the Lord. If you are a real believer, you will receive it meekly. You'll be easy to entreat, like it says in the book of James. If you're going to a spiritual club, you'll just be told spiritual niceties and then be sent on your way. Hopefully you leave a donation on the way out. But we are the body of Christ here. And the Lord loves those that he chastens. There will be times of difficulty. The question is, when the tides move, when the tides shift, will you still be there? And far more important, if you don't get anything out of today's sermon, Live your life to be able to look Jesus in the eye. Because the moment you close your eyes for the last time, in 2 Corinthians 5.8, it says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And every human being will have to stand before God. And there won't be anyone there but you and him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. You didn't come to the world to condemn the world but that the world should be saved through you. That you took our punishment for all of our crimes and all of our sins upon yourself, that whosoever believes in you shall not perish but have everlasting life. I pray as saints today that we are equipped, re-energized, to go into a world that is a storm, Lord, that is, that is just crazy. They're burning themselves down, Lord. They're destroying their own towns. But we know where you are, there is peace. You calm the storms. In the midst of great storms, you're able to just sleep in the boat at peace.
We pray, Lord, that we would represent you well in the world, that we would bring your love, your discipline, your truth, Father, and that we would be able to share the gospel that never changes, the truth, the revelation from God with the world. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, come on up. We'd love to share with you. We have some gifts for you. We'd love to pray with you. Love to share stories with you, hear praise reports. Brothers and sisters, they'll be up here for prayer. God bless you and have a wonderful week.